psychedelics are illegal not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Is a Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the, opportunity. the opportunity. The opportunity. Well, welcome back to another episode of Mikeadelic. You get a, a second episode this week. Two out. Wow. I'm very productive. So thank you, folks, for, for tuning in. Thanks for all the kind words and support, of course. And if you uh, you want to support the podcast, just leave me a nice rating and review on iTunes. That's all you got to do. I mean, you can give me money if you want. I mean, that'd be cool. Um, but uh, for now, a little rating and review. That's all you got to do. Very, very excited about the show today. With me, I have Mike Margulies. Woo! Hey. Hey, what's up, Mike? What's happening, man? Not much, dude. Just just psyched up for this weekend, the Psychedelic Conference, the Horizons Conference, for your storytelling show. Mike is the director of expansion over at Symposia, which is an excellent psychedelically-minded magazine. Is yeah. that, would that be a fair assessment, Mike? Yeah. Maybe would... I should let you describe it. Sure. No, thanks for the, the kind words there. Yeah, we are a psychedelic magazine uh, and events production company, um, including the one you just mentioned, the event we're throwing tomorrow, which is the after party for the Horizons Conference. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll make that quick plug here. Uh, are your audience New York based, a lot of them? Uh, yeah, we have some people in New York. We, yeah. have, we have people all over the globe. Great. So those of you who are in New York, if you haven't yet come out, Psychedelic Stories tomorrow at Lot 45 Brooklyn, Duncan Trussell, Rick Doblin, and more. And, and yeah, we throw these storytelling events, online magazine focused on honest conversations, stories um, around psychedelics, uh, the drug war, harm reduction, kind of the, uh, the psychedelics are the crux of the thing, uh, yeah. which branches out into other areas, of course. Um, but for me, the, the work is about uh, creating the spaces for these uh, for to push the conversations forward. Cool. So how did how did this get started? I know we we met uh, before the podcast. We were chatting a little bit, and I was like, "Oh, we should just save this for the podcast because there's so much interesting stuff." Uh, you were telling me so much interesting stuff. Seems like we have a lot in common as well with the traveling and and with everything. So why don't you give me the I guess your origin story and what led you to Symposia? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, yeah, my, my psychedelic origin story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> psychedelic origins, Mike Margulies, Wolverine. Um, so, <laughs> so my psychedelic origin story, um, I, I guess you got to start with the first time I did a psychedelic, yeah. um, which was actually after college in my case. Uh, it was the first time I did LSD. And um, I just like took some LSD with a friend and I was living in the D.C. area at the time. We just went around this. Ooh, that's the place to take LSD. <laughs> yeah. Right in the capital, right in the heart of those bastards that bureaucracy <laughs> take that it, you know what it's a great place to trip because yeah. like we're hanging around the national mall went to the smithsonian museums wow. um and it was a ama- 
I actually did this more than one time, but every single time we would do this, we'd find the exhibit that was seemed like it was made just for us. You know, yeah. we'd stumble across the blacklight room or like the 60s room and the lights would go on these weird colors would show up on the ceiling and Jimi Hendrix would start playing. These are like true stories That's while amazing. we're on acid in the Smithsonian. Um, and so I think this is like right when I started working uh, as an engineer uh, in corporate America. And um, at the time I wasn't dissatisfied with that. Um, but I think I knew the seed was planted that something else was going to be in my future besides climbing the corporate ladder forever. Mm-hmm. Fast forward a few years later in the classic quarter life crisis I was going through, you know, I had a good job and a house and all this stuff and, uh, I wasn't happy. And that led me to, that's when I heard about ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I heard about ayahuasca, uh, I knew I had to do it. So. Yeah. I had a similar experience too. And, uh, for me it was, I think the first time I heard of ayahuasca was maybe like Graham Hancock on Joe mm. Rogan's podcast. Um, mm. how did you hear about it? You know, I think through a friend who probably heard it through Joe Rogan. Okay, yeah. <laughs> He's this, guy, this guy's had a major impact. I don't even know if he realizes it. But yeah, I, I, I had a similar experience. Like, I heard about it, and I was like, I need to do that. Yeah, yeah. So you, exactly. fe- you got, like, the calling, as they say. As a- yeah, definitely. I, it was As soon as I knew this was a thing. And DMT had been in my radar. And then yeah. I found out, wait, there's a version of DMT that isn't just like this. Ten- I hadn't done DMT yet. I yeah. was interested. But then I found out, oh, you can do it in the Amazon, and it'll last, like, four hours. And it's this whole thing. And so I... I booked a flight to Peru, went down to Iquitos. Uh, this was in like 2012. So it was like four years ago, September right. 2012. And um, the ayahuasca experience for me was like, it wasn't that I figured out something new. It was more like I um, I believed the things I already knew deep down. Yeah. And it parted the clouds of doubt that were cast by others. And I, I came into this sort of, um, I think I knew I was going to quit my job. Um, before I went there, but when I went there, it sort of, um, you know, the clouds were parted and I saw like, yeah, um, I was debating, do I want to take a leave of absence from work and go traveling for a while or quit my job? And the message that I heard in the ayahuasca trip was jump without the rope. And it was repeated ad nauseum, jump without the rope, jump without the rope. So, um, it took me a little bit of time before I actually, you know, it was about a year before I really kind of went through with it, got all my chips in place. But three years ago, I quit my job. I was telling you right before we started recording, you know, I, uh, it was kind of a whirlwind uh, in August 2013 where it was like, quit my job, go to Burning Man, one-way ticket to India. <laughs> and so... Yeah, a lot, like one transformational life event after the next. Yeah, it was like Burning Man was like this launching point for uh, what then was 15 months of backpacking. This is a much better origin story than Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, this is like, this is a cool origin story. <laughs> So, so yeah, I mean, like, so you get this calling, you go down, you do ayahuasca, the ayahuasca, of course, I I got the same kind of feeling. It's like my whole life, I I always had this feeling that kind of like, I knew there was something more, there was something greater, there was something going on and all these kind of seeds, societal seeds of self-doubt and kind of like the, the uh, like mental oppression of civilization is, is right. you know, shellacked on your brain like a thick goo. <laughs> and uh, it makes it hard to think and it makes it hard to really kind of like be like, no, 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 I'm right about right. this and follow your gut and follow your instinct. And, um, and that's what I always tell people too, if they feel like, like people will uh, ask me, like I'm thinking about trying psychedelics for the first time. Like, what would you say? I'd be like, well, you know, don't, don't do it if you're, if you're nervous or scared or if you're not, you know, only do it really if you have like, if you feel like you have a, a calling to it, mm. like you, you, you want to have a positive mental state set and setting. That's yeah. always the most important thing. 
Um, so that's cool, man. So then, so then you had that profound experience on ayahuasca, and then you were like, "Fuck work." Work right. is for slave bitches. I'm going to... <laughs> and then you went to Burning Man, freaked out, and uh, had a wild time. I can only imagine the kind of stuff... That I, I've yet to go, but I want to go. So it's Burning amazing. Man, yeah. tra- another transformal, uh, transfer, transformational Transform- experience. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then you went to India. You bought a one-way ticket mm-hmm. to India. So you, you, you packed a bag... And then you went to India. You went backpacking around India for for how long? I was in India for four months. Four months and from, in India. And all from there, I went to Southeast Asia for another like eleven or so. Um, yeah, the the idea behind this trip was um, the opposite of trying to plan things out. You mm-hmm. know, previously to this, when I would travel, you know, you would and I would have my like you know two weeks of vacation that my job let me take, and I would have it very rigidly structured. You know, here's where I'm staying. Here's my flights. Here's all this, that, and the other thing itinerary and the point of this trip was to travel in an open-ended kind of way to really fully let go and see where where things took me. I didn't know I was going to end up in Southeast Asia after. You know, that was kind of planned as I went along. That, yeah. when that uh, And that's how I lived um, my life for that whole experience and in many ways still today, doing it uh, an improvised lifestyle. And um, the idea with this trip was to unlearn what I had learned. Um, I went uh, to, <laughs> Yoda. Yes. Uh, yeah. It got that right. That was a, that was a very uh, obscure reference. Oh, I'm a Star Wars nerd. Absolute Yoda reference yeah. there. Nailed it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was the whole point. That was to get out of the mindset because I didn't know what I wanted to do while I was interested in. I wanted to, so I wanted to just spend some time for the first time in my life ever. You know, previous to that, like, okay, you went to, went to school, went to university, went to work, and it was always, there was always like a thing I had, an obligation I had, and the whole exercise here was, let's experiment with what would I do with my life if I didn't have to do anything? What mm-hmm. would I choose to do? And so I just lived that way for a while. Um, ultimately, moving, moving, moving got exhausting in its own way, so eventually, you know, because the thing I wanted to do was travel and see, and I did that, and then, of course, that ran its course, and it was time to stop moving. So I kind of hung out in Chiang Mai, Thailand for a while, uh, towards the end of this 15-month sort of backpacking adventure. Um, and yeah. then it was time to come home. <laughs> I, I, I loved Chiang Mai. So we, we were talking a little bit before mm-hmm. the podcast, and I was telling you that I, I kind of did a similar thing, but in almost in like reverse. Like right. I, I went backpacking first, and then came back, and then went to Peru and did ayahuasca, and, right. and, uh, and then started this podcast. But I I love Chiang Mai, Thailand. Like people are always asking me, like, "Oh, really? You didn't like the islands?" I was like, "No, I liked it. Every everything was great. Everything right. had its had its place, and everything was beautiful in the moment that I was there." And I hate kind of picking favorites, mm. but I really felt like I developed a little home in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It's a great place. Yeah, I really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I yeah definitely. I'll echo exactly what you said. Like, yeah, the island. I like the islands as much as the next guy. I went to the full moon party, yep. did all that. It was great. But Chiang Mai. There's something there that is. I kept coming back. That was a thing. It was that, that city that every time I like my visa was up and I had to leave and I was sad about it. And I wrote yeah. songs about this, about how <laughs> I was sad to leave Chiang Mai and I would come back and every time I would leave, I would feel like every time I left, it was sad. And then uh, that's why when I got to the point in this backpacking adventure when I was exhausted, I'd already spent a bunch of time, a couple trips in Chiang Mai, but then I got exhausted of having to. Um, freedom's great and all and living every day, doing what you want, moving. It got exhausting every yeah. day, though, having to start over. Right. Having to meet new friends. Even though you can make friends so easily in it a hostel is, yeah. and everything, it yeah. just got, 
I was tired of having that same conversation. So how long are you traveling? <laughs> you know, Where have you been? The what hostile conversation. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That, that was for me, it ran its course in like, th- like I spent three months and by the third month, I thought I was going to last longer, but by the third month I was like, damn, I kind of miss New York city. It's like, what the mm. hell's wrong with me? <laughs> Why do I miss New York so much? But yeah, that's what this place does. It kind of sucks you in. Um, but uh, yeah, traveling, like all of these activities that you're engaging in are really kind of like eye-opening mm. uh, activities. Like you're exposing yourself to all this newness and and it's very similar in a way to kind of a psychedelic oh, trip, yeah. you know? Like, oh, yeah. And that's kind of why they call it tripping, right? You're, <laughs> right. You're taking a trip, you're going somewhere new, your mind is opening up, you're exposed to new cultures, new languages, foreign things. And so we're like... When you were, oh, by the way, just, you also have a podcast that you yeah. talk about this stuff, right? You want to plug yeah, that yeah. podcast? Yeah, yeah, it's called Walking the Earth Podcast, and it's on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all, whatever thing you use, SoundCloud. Cool. Um, yeah, Walking the Earth Podcast. And yeah, I started this show when I started this trip, so it was right after Burning Man three years ago when I first arrived in India. Uh, it was episode number one, um, and yeah, it started off as sort of like alternative to doing a travel blog and writing, like, I was calling... Um, on Skype, a buddy who was actually here in New York, my buddy Justin, and I would record the Skype calls with him telling him what was going on, and then started like figuring it was also, I would start interviewing people I met on the road, uh, eventually Skyping other people in, um, talking to interesting travelers. It, it went on hiatus for a little bit after I came back and I was working on Symposia and stuff, but recently I've started doing some episodes again and opening it up a little bit. So, yeah. That's w- awesome, man. WTEpodcast.com. Yeah, that's that's WTEpodcast.com. That's, yeah. that's awesome, man. I, I always, and like, I just think travel is such a great thing, and I feel like for some reason here in America, we, we seem to be kind of isolated from that kind of mindset, whereas in other cultures, it seems more like, it's more okay to ch- take mm. a year off after high school or right. college and take a break and go travel and just kind of let life take you where it takes you. Uh, for some right. reason here, we're, we're kind of indoctrinated into this like puritanical work ethic yes. where we all feel shame and guilt for not being productive. Uh, right. You know? no, that, and that was a, you know, so, you know, rewinding back in time around the time when I first did LSD, that was the first time I went backpacking kind of, oh, and a two, you know, I took my two weeks of vacation back then and I went on like a two week trip to Europe. And, uh, yeah, that was the first time I met people who weren't just like me on a vacation for a couple of weeks. They were actually just traveling and it blew my mind. This is like back in 2009 or something. And I was thinking like, wait, you can do that. Yeah. That's a thing. Someday that's going to be me. So you know, I, I think back, uh, in that time period, there were kind of two seeds planted, um, which was taking LSD and taking this backpack, a short fast packing trip to Europe. And both of those experiences, uh, both of those trips, yeah. um, sort of uh, planted the seed that later grew uh, a few years later. Once I hit, you know, realized, hey, I needed to change something. Yeah, you know? and 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 in a way, like you were, you were saying before, how you know you went to college, you got an education, you had a job, all this stuff. But in a way, you you kind of created your own form of education. You kind mm. of educated yourself about life and the world and and things that you're interested in. And I I definitely found that to be. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've learned way more outside of school than I have inside of school for sure. Um, yeah. just about, you know, the real world and how things really work and, and, you know, just learning about people and places and things. And, and so, so that's, that's cool. So when you were traveling and then you decided to come back, um, how did you, now, how did you wind up, um, with symposia? How did that come about the Tell me about like, you know, kind of the, the steps that, that created that. Yeah. Um, so when I got back 
home. I arrived back in the States November of 2014, um, like around Thanksgiving time. And mm-hmm. I came back. I had, it had been enough time. I'd been gone. And I had a friend had a, who was getting married, and I was a groomsman for him. So it was just it was time to come back. Um, funny enough, at the time, I wasn't intending to stay. My intention was to come back for a couple of months, see the family, see some friends. And then I was going to go, I had a flight back to Asia. I was oh, going to go start okay. my, have a life there, like open a hostel or teach English or something. Uh, I had some ideas and that was my life plan. And it was January, a year and a half ago, January, 2015, the day before my flight, when I decided not to get on that plane. Um, what, well, how come? Some, well, a few things happened, uh, kind of synchronicity that week prior, I was feeling kind of when I you know, got dinner with like my dad and brother and like for the last time I would see them for however many months again or whatever. I was feeling this sadness and I was feeling just yeah, sad to be away from yeah. all these people. And then um, I had kind of a falling out with someone who I was going to partner with on a business like opening a guest house. Like we had a Skype call and it just sort of like there's a bad interaction that happened there and I realized this isn't someone I wanted to partner with. Right. Um, and, uh, it, and then the, there's this moment this is the day before I'm supposed to fly and, I, and I'm sitting there right after that Skype call and I was like, my mind's racing and I'm like, what am I doing? I, I, I literally just stopped and I meditated just to stop thinking for a moment and when I stopped thinking, you know, I think the exercise of the travel and the ayahuasca and all this stuff taught me how to listen to myself and what I really wanted so in this moment, I just took that time to just stop, listen and when I did that, I realized I did not want to get on that plane. Yeah. So, uh, the plot twist was I started to stay home. I decided to. You didn't see. The, you probably didn't see that coming. No, right? yeah. uh, it was the last thing I thought was yeah. that I was going to stay in the states. Right. And um, so um, and then it was like, well, now where do I want to stay? And and then it, the second thing that hit me was, well, um, I've never, I haven't lived in in Baltimore. I, I grew up in the suburbs of Baltimore, but I had never lived in Baltimore City. I hadn't lived in the Baltimore area as an adult. You know, after college, I was in the D.C. area. Then I was in Houston, and. Um, and it just hit me like I've been start traveling around the world trying to find a home. Why don't I try home? <laughs> so, so I um, decided to live in Baltimore. Um, and then I, the next question was, "All right, great. So you quit your job and you um, change the trajectory of your life, and now you're back. And the last thing I wanted to do was just get a job again. The whole point of this exercise was to, I wanted to do something I was passionate about. Yeah, you know. And then I was sitting there and I'm trying to figure out like, well, what am I passionate about? And I met some new friends and I told them the ayahuasca story. Actually, I, I don't know how it came up, but like I was so thrilled. There were people that wanted to hear the story and I told them all about ayahuasca and they were like super eager to listen. And I, uh, when I had years, they were ready to hear, I was like, go on for hours, you know? And the next day we're at a cafe and I was saying to this new friend, yeah, you know, I'm like, I don't know what I'm passionate about. He looks at me like, are you fucking nuts? <laughs> so <laughs> it is where I feel like I've had like a very similar experience too. Like where you're, where you're like, you're doing all these things and for some reason it's right there in front of you, yep. but you just can't seem to see it. It's always like right in front of you. Yeah. you know? And then so, uh, and that hit me. I was like, Oh yeah. And then I realized that it's psychedelic. So, uh, the psychedelic community was something. So I, I you know, that day I remember like I, started following all the different groups like maps, like Airwood and all these groups that were in the psychedelic space on Facebook or whatever. I started a group in Baltimore called psychedelic seminars. I started on a Facebook page, a meetup group, Twitter page. I just, I went, I just, once I knew I was like, Oh, I had been having these ideas in my head about this idea of an action bias. So the point was like, just do something. And I didn't know 
I had no idea what I wanted to do in the psychedelic space. I just knew this was an area I was interested in, and I wanted, the point was, get in the community, immerse myself, do something, meet people, network. And then if once I'm immersed in the community, I will find the opportunities. Uh, and so that was what I did. Um, and so in this moment, I was like, all right, well, let's join the local group in Baltimore. Uh, there isn't one. Okay, there's my path. I'm going to start it. So I started a group in Baltimore, and the first meeting was just me talking to like seven or eight people in the library about ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. And over the next few months, um, I would... Um, Turns out, lo and behold, it's like this beautiful irony to this whole story is that uh, turns out Baltimore, my home, this whole time was like the perfect place to like do this kind of work because Johns Hopkins University is doing research with psilocybin. You've got um, a lot of folks from LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. These are former police officers that speak against the drug war, are based out of Baltimore. Uh, So Baltimore is this, on several different fronts, an interesting place to be Mm -hmm. doing this work. So over time, I just met people in Baltimore, started bringing guest speakers like these Hopkins researchers, people from Leap, and over over time grew my network and grew an audience within Baltimore. And then by uh, over a year ago, it was last summer, uh, is when I linked up with Symposia. Symposia, as an organization, had already existed, you know, a year before I got involved. Okay. And had thrown a couple conferences on psychedelics. I had actually, while I was backpacking, heard about Symposia on Rogan's podcast because the guy sent Dennis McKenna on, who was speaking at the first conference, um, to promote to promote it. And so I was aware of Symposia. Um, so then, yeah, it was like a little a bit over a year ago when I linked up, and we just had a similar vision. And for the last um, year and change, um, you know, I, I joined up, and uh, and now I'm like one of the main kind of movers and shakers in the organization, and. It's been a wild ride. Since then, we've been cranking away. Um, we've gone away from big conferences and more to these smaller storytelling kind of events and also breaking into the online territory mm-hmm. with our, with Symposium Magazine, which is all an online-based magazine at symposium.com. Um, Great. So you guys are creating original content and also providing a space for, for other people to to uh, tell stories is, is what the main event series is, right? Yeah. Um, Psychedelic Stories is... Um, yeah, are definitely one of our main events. We do other events too. We've had events with uh, like conversations, like talk show style, almost. Or yeah, uh, we have like Lex who hosts most. Of, I've hosted some events too, but Lex, um, you know, would sit down with Dennis McKenna, you know, and just have a conversation. We've been experimenting, I guess, with uh, on for our events formats different than um, presentations, you know. And I and I I love you know what's this recent horizon is going to be a lot of great presentations. I love seeing that. Uh, as much as the next guy. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think where we found our niche and what I think is really cool is seeing something, um, you know, when you have conversations or just people sharing stories, you get to this, like, I don't know, there's this more kind of personal layer and there's a way of, it's almost like a gentler way in some in some respects of people getting information rather than being told, like, hey, this is how something is. Someone's sharing their, their story or just telling their their view in a conversation and, the audience can draw from that what they want. Right, you know? yeah, yeah. I, I, I enjoy that a lot. And I, I had um, an experience when I was uh, down in Peru doing ayahuasca. We had these group integration meetings. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so after, like, before and after ceremonies, we would get together, like, 20 people, and everybody would just kind of share their intentions and what they're doing there. 
And after uh, our ceremony nights, we would also get together and then we would share what we experienced. And mm. it would all be guided by, um, well, this wonderful uh, naturopathic uh, doctor. She's now the integration director at the Temple of the Way of Light, uh, Dr. Tanya Mate. I've, I've had her on mm -hmm. the show before. And and so that's a kind of new thing that they they started. I was actually like the inaugural group mm. to, to begin with this integration-minded yeah. uh, approach. But I felt like it was extremely beneficial. Um Everybody seemed to get like we, everybody seemed to get a lot out of it just simply from being together, listening to other people's stories yep. without like a direct kind of this is the message that we're going to be talking to you. Right. It was more of a kind of group sharing. And there was a lot that came out of that. So so you guys are doing something similar uh, at Symposia, right? Yeah, um, that's the spirit. That's awesome. And the magazine online is we're trying to take that same spirit online as well. So what we've done in live events, we're trying to transport that to the internet. So we have a lot of like written stories that people share or even conversations. Like one of the things, uh, we had a conversation series on coming out of the psychedelic closet. Oh, I love that, yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> and the way we set it up was we had um, Nijay Devineau, who's who, she got a psychedelic PhD at Penn. Uh, you know, she studied psychedelics and literature. She, she wrote this piece basically saying, comparing coming out as a psychedelic person to coming out as gay. Um, but then what we did after that was we asked a few different people to react to her piece. So we had like five or so people write responses, some people agreeing and adding to it, some people disagreeing, some people saying like, hey, that's not true. You can't make the comparison. It's asymmetric risk. Uh, and then we had Najee kind of re-react to those things. Um, the idea here was the conversation. You know, we wanted to get deeper into it. We want to go into the nuances of the debates, of the controversies. Right. Um, and we're, we have a few more conversation series like this in the works. We have one about... Um, diversity within the psychedelic community uh, which is you know it's mostly it's a very white uh community that we have here so we that's an issue we, we want to go into these kind of things goddamn white devils <laughs> ruining everything <laughs> and, well, yeah, and I, I like to think of it not from like a more of like a, from a positive perspective like how can we do better how can we be more inclusive and more in, get inviting mm -hmm. um and i think the diversity is is huge i mean mm -hmm. i think like um like for me i noticed in the last couple of years in like the hip-hop scene the Couple, a couple rappers, Chance the Rapper, mm -hmm. uh, ASAP Rocky. I noticed these guys talking about LSD and talking about, you know, like uh, psychedelic drugs and, and, and that. Even even guys like uh, Killer Mike from Run the Jewels, he drops a line in one of his songs like about psilocybin. You know, he says <laughs> psilocybin. So I feel like that's starting to come. Cuddy talks about it a bunch Kid too. Kid Cuddy, yeah. yeah. Kid Cuddy for sure. Um, and uh, th I think that's, that's like a really important kind of uh, aspect that needs to be uh, yeah. shared amongst everyone because it's a very – the psychedelic experience is a very unifying experience. Mm -hmm. and, to, and I think like the way to, to kind of – yeah, to make it all inclusive is to kind of let it seep into the culture. Right. But that's I think where you guys come along is providing that kind of space – to yeah. make things like that happen. Yeah, exactly. We that's why to us we are creating the space um, to allow people to share and and to share diverse perspectives. You know, because um, so people take think about psychedelics in different ways, and the scientists have one paradigm of thinking about psychedelics, and it tends to be a little bit material reductionist, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that view, but it's not the only view. Right. And uh, I definitely don't think psychedelics need to be limited to one framework yeah. of working with them, and so it's a and so I think it's important to show other perspectives um, and paradigms. Yeah, and and one of the things like for me is, I think like all this research that we can we can find out about the medical holistic mm. healing power of psychedelics is fantastic. You know, all of the the stats that you can find to kind of 
you know, put up there and say, look, this this drug war is a failure. Look at the the proof that we have here. I think all that stuff is is so important. And I also I think that one of the things and and how I kind of came across you is I was reading this article, and one of the the things that this show focuses on is cognitive liberty. Mm, and I yeah. saw this article, and I was like, man, I was like, I love that people are talking about this. I love that people know what this is um, because I feel like that's a very very important thing. It's like, look. You know, benefits and health aside, you know, all this other stuff, it's we should have the right to, yes. to put what we want in our own bodies. And, and, and I always make make the comparison to, um, you know, like the, the fight for women's rights, uh, the fight for civil rights, the fight for gay rights and the fight for our mind, like mind rights. You know, mm. it's like this is this is like the biggest fight that we can win is the the ability to control our own consciousness, to alter it in whichever way we choose. And so. I feel like you definitely feel very passionately about yeah. this, right? I mean, from oh, yeah. the article I read, it seemed like it was a really good. So, so yeah, I mean, like, t- talk to talk a little bit about, about that. I guess you know, just tell yeah. people what you think about cognitive liberty and, and all that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. No, like you said, I, I'm thrilled that all this medical research is happening, and it's sort of like, it's funny because it's like we've known this for like literally thousands of years that psychedelics can be healing, and so uh, I'm glad though that we're seeing it now through the lens of science. We're validating things we've known, right. and it's great. So we're seeing like MDMA. <laughs> I, I always kind of laugh whenever I see a new story out in the mainstream media, right. Where it's like, we're like psychedelics can make you have more empathy. Right. It's like, like yeah, yeah, no, no shit, no shit. <laughs> right? Duh. Like, yeah. We've known that. No, I, exa- that's how I feel too. Like yeah. every, all the, I see all these new articles. Every head I'm like, yeah, yeah, duh. Um, but can psychedelics make you happy? It is frustrating as a psychonaut, like <laughs> yeah. reading these headlines where it's like, hey, did you know psychedelics are beneficial? Like, yeah, no shit. That's why we do them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, but you know, yes, I'm so glad it's happening. You know, I'm glad Hopkins is doing this work. We're saying, okay, psilocybin can help with addiction, can help with people with anxiety. Um, you know, we, and the list goes on. PTSD, MDMA. Um, uh, but yeah, right. We're definitely selling ourselves short, though, if we're justifying our right to use substances like these because they hire a medicine. If right. we are saying like, oh, yeah, I have the I have, I'm allowed to use this because it's a medicine like that's missing the fucking point. Right. You know. Yeah, um, it's like pe- people aren't aren't justifying like alcohol and, and cigarettes that way. Like, well, it's a ve- there's a very healing uh, potential here right, for me. Right, exactly. And it's just like no, we want to do it because it's fun and we like it and because we, yeah. we choose to. And that's a valid reason. Yeah, doing something because it's fun is a valid reason. And, and you know, and I have done psychedelics recreationally. Uh, and suffice to say, you know, hey, even when I do it recreationally, it doesn't really ever come without some sort of like lesson. Oh yeah, you know? of course. Yeah. Um, it, it, you get that, and so I don't. I think that's an artificial distinction. Also, is like, what's the you know distinguishing between recreation and medicine? And um, you know, yeah, I. I, I um, I believe in cognitive liberty. I believe that as a human being on this planet, um, whether or not these substances have medical value, which they obviously do, mm-hmm. but despite that, even if I'm, even if I don't, I don't have to have a condition that a doctor diagnoses me with to have the right to use mushrooms. Right. You know, I don't need to have PTSD. I don't need to have had a traumatic experience to have the to have the right to pick a mushroom out of the ground and put it in my fucking mouth. Yeah. You know, I think I think you could probably make the argument that a lot of us are suffering from some kind of yeah. traumatic experience. And everyone can heal. Yeah. You know, betterment of well people. Yeah. And I think uh Bob Jesse talks about this. You yeah. know, it's like that's uh that's important. Like we all can grow. We all can learn. We all have room for growth. And the uh, sort of I think what's great about psychedelics is it they're kind of gonna bust open the whole medical paradigm completely in its head. Um, cause it's, you know, we have this strange idea that there's this idea of what's normal mm-hmm. 
And if you're outside this box of what's normal, you have you are pathologized. You know, you have uh, bipolar. You have uh, PT. You know, some of them are real, like condition. You, know, you have if you're struggling with PTSD, that's a real issue. You know, but um, there's this idea that if you are outside of a certain box, you have a condition and you fix the condition, rather than looking at things like, well, we're all humans. We all have things, and and obviously people have different layers of suffering. Um, but to draw these artificial boundaries of like what's a valid thing that. Um, you are allowed to use this medicine or you are not allowed to, you know, I, I want those experts to be there. Don't get me wrong. Like, please build me the medical structures. Give me the doctors. Um, tell me, give, build the containers that are safe. Um, give me the, the, uh, the places where I can do psychedelics in a healing up space. But don't tell me that that's the only proper way to use psychedelics. The right. only way I can use psychedelics is if I have PTSD or addiction and I have to do it within a very specific place, um, within the hospital setting or in, no, like maybe I, um, I don't have a condition, but I want to go and, and sit in silent darkness and contemplate how I can be a better man. Right. You know? Yeah, of course. And, and, and there's definitely like this bias, this myth of like normalcy where, where, uh, you know, what, what you do and don't deserve in terms of like a medical standpoint or a healing right. standpoint. And I, I know, uh, you know, for me, I, I know microdosing LSD has been, uh, has been something that's really benefited me where in terms like I have definitely have ADHD. So mm -hmm. in the past when I was taking like Adderall, I mean, you take it's just that's like a basically taking methamphetamine mm -hmm. and the the side effects are terrible you know for you but microdosing you know 12 micrograms of, of LSD every fourth day the way that Dr. James Fodeman yeah. uh, you know writes about is uh is tremendously beneficial with no side effects whatsoever yeah. and uh Aldous Huxley the author even even said that uh LSD could have replaced uh, Ritalin had it not been so harshly categorized but who who's to determine that this is something that I can or cannot do right. You know, exactly. And it's like, well, everybody's physiology is different. Yeah. And I think we have to come to terms as a society that everybody works differently and responds yeah. differently to different things and try to make one size fits all. Things. Right. And we, we were, and, and even like in the environment in which it takes place, hospital settings and these things seem to be a little abrasive yeah. towards psych, sure. psychedelically minded well, people. So to be fair, there is like at Hopkins, I was in a study at Hopkins and like, oh, to be cool. fair, it's like. They have like a living room kind of, it's a really oh, nice, nice. it is a really nice space where you get to do it. A beautiful right. container, um, to be fair. But, um, but yeah, no, it shouldn't be the only one. Um, it, if I want to go in the jungle with a shaman, you know, and, and granted, you know, the FDA maybe isn't able to say that they can tell me that it's safe or whatever, but that's for me to decide. Like, you know what? FDA, great. Please do all your, your efficacy and safety research and give me those guidelines. Tell me what you think is safe or not, but don't coerce me into not doing something else. Like, give me the safety guidelines. Give me the experts. Give me your advice, right. but don't force me with coercion to only use your method. It's my choice if I want to go and take a risk of using a non-FDA approved method, right. you know? And, and this is, um, I'm going to take it to marijuana actually now, because, um, you know, the conversation of how psychedelics will or will not be regulated is still going to be a, a somewhat of a ways out, but it's happening right now with marijuana. And it right. always makes me cringe when I hear people use this phrase, regulate marijuana like alcohol. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking like, fuck that. Regulate marijuana like alcohol? You know, alcohol's regulated terribly. Um, you know, marijuana doesn't need to be regulated. Marijuana just needs to be free. And any, and we started running pieces and symposia about this, about how the way marijuana is being legalized is really messed up. Mm. Um, the way marijuana is becoming legalized is certain people have access to the marijuana industry. Other people do not have access. 
often it's the same people who were the most victimized by the war on drugs in the first place. Right, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen this and I've, I've heard people make comparisons to like big tobacco and yeah. it's, it's going to become like big weed. Yeah, and it's like... Okay, that's wait, one more thing. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. That, that's one of the most fucked up things is people who are arrested for nonviolent crimes mm. now are not able to right. compete in, exactly. in the fucking one You're industry not even allowed in experience. Yeah, exactly. Like the people who have been go- have gone to jail for selling marijuana, they should actually be the ones running the marijuana dispensaries. Yeah. Um and and further to that is that any system where you don't let people grow their own weed is really missing the damn point. You know, like yeah. Great. I, I, again, it's like build me, give me the structures. I love the fact that you can go to Colorado. Have you been to a dispensary there? Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Yeah. You walk in, you get a menu. I love that. Oh, you know, it tells you the percent of THC, the percent CBD. This is great stuff. Please give me those those models. Give me those structures where I can buy weed. But don't tell someone they can't grow their own weed. Right. You know, you can't force someone. If you <laughs> you can grow your own tomatoes in right. a garden. You know, yeah. but you could also go to the supermarket and buy tomatoes. So who? Why, why can't it just be like that? And you know, I, I saw a story, another one, you know, uh, oh, the, all these stupid stories that you see, you know, the millions and trillions of dollars that we're wasting on this terrible drug war. It was some woman was growing a weed plant, some 90-year-old woman's growing I a just weed saw, plant. I didn't read the article. And, I saw something about some, this today. Yeah. Some, like, you know, helicopter, like, helicopter comes in and troops come in, kick down their door and, like, arrest her, confiscate the plant. I mean... It's insane. It's 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 ab- it's absolutely c- completely insane. It's nuts. Yeah. It, it, it is nuts, and, it, and it's like you know. And again, like I I, I have to. It, it's not. I, I like the fact that you can have, you know, have a medical marijuana dispensary. Have some. Have those structures. Give them to me. Great. Yeah. But don't stop somebody from doing something their own way. Right. And that's the biggest thing for me. That's like the human rights aspect of this whole thing is, you know, give. We don't need regulations. Guidelines. Great. Experts. Great. Regulation. Meaning, regulation can be translated as coercion. Sure. Um, so, uh, give us the advice, but don't give us coercion that we have to do it the way you say. Well, yeah, and and coercion is a big. Uh, that's a word I'm I'm using all the time because I'm always railing against the government, yeah. railing against the state, the use of force, the monopoly on violence. Mm. I I self-identify as a, as a libertarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sound very libertarian as yeah, well, well, sir. I, well, I actually on the same. You read on. Uh, what, on laissez-faire today, the piece about cognitive liberty originally, yeah. I actually um, wrote a guest post, which will be up tomorrow. Um, so if you're hearing this now, you probably it's probably up by now, but I'm running a guest post on that blog, uh, kind of like, a, I call it the Voluntary Socialist Manifesto. Okay. And it's sort of, a, it goes into, uh, it's called the Voluntary Socialist Manifesto, um, Consent, Choice, Compassion, and Community. And it just basically, I really, I wrote this like on the airplane on the way back from Prague. Uh, was at another psychedelic conference last weekend. Um, and it's like, I just got inspired and wrote this. But going into all this stuff, like about how non-coercion and how, yeah. And yeah. being a libertarian, uh, I go into this too, it's not, doesn't mean that you don't have compassion. It's, um, no, we want to have compassion. We want to give people all those things, all the things that Bernie wants, right? But the point is, not through coercion. We do not, it voluntarily. Yeah, right. We choose ourselves. Um, that I completely agree with. And, you know, I watching Bernie Sanders' campaign and, and kind of talking to people in the psychedelic community, it's like, yeah, you know, I think he's got some good intentions. I think some yeah, things he's 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 wrong about. But I think that one of the things he's missing is that you can't force people into this right. kind of system. Right. And I think that we're living in a 
what better time now than ever? This this kind of voluntary voluntary is the key. Yes, yes. I think that we're seeing things happen with you know you were talking about Patreon, right? Yes. Supposedly has a Patreon. Exactly. People can voluntarily decide to fund what they like, things, mm. projects that they enjoy. You know, when the show started, I was talking about leaving a rating and review for me. You know, voluntary interactions, uh, gift economies. Yes. You were showing me that. Burning Man's like what that. you got. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The kind of. The the, the the kind of environment that you see at Burning Man is 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 exactly what we need to be kind of integrated into into mainstream society. And I think the the you know you're definitely you know, doing doing your part in terms of that. But it's this kind of idea that like look, we're all just people here. Yes. We can work together. We don't need. We don't need a middleman. We don't need this uh, hierarchy. Hierar- yeah, <laughs> hierarchical. Yeah, that thing always gets hit. Don't worry. <laughs> You want to need this hierarchical kind of structure, right. you know, dictating what is good and, exactly. and, and not for us. Yeah. yeah, you know, and that's what's so funny. It's like, okay, that, that's what blows my mind about it. You know, and I agree with you. Like Bernie, like obviously he's got the compassion, um, but he, and I said this sentence in the in the guest post I wrote for for uh, Lazy Fair is, um, you cannot have um, compassionate community which is what we really want. At the end of the day, I want the society to be a compassionate community. Yeah. We want uh, everyone should be compassionate to one another. That's what I want society to be. Sure. You can't have a compassionate community without choice and consent. Right. If there isn't choice and consent, that's not a compassionate community. And, and that's that's what Bernie's missing. He's got the compassion idea, but where's the choice and consent? And if all these people want are, are so do-gooders that want to help the underprivileged and all this stuff, that's great. If that's true, then do it. Well, you yeah. don't need to have a middleman. Like, why do you think the best way to do that is to put more money, more power in an already overbloated central? Like, so, oh, we're saying that in 50 different states, we should be flowing money centrally into Washington, D.C., run it through a bunch of bureaucracy, and then flow it back out. <laughs> right. And that's the best way? How about just giving your, helping your fucking neighbor? Yeah. Like, you're, in your local neighborhood, right here, right now, uh-huh. do it. And crowdfunding's like a great, uh, is an amazing thing. Um, yeah. How about actually... Uh, taking action in your local community, helping another human being. Yes. How about smiling to the person that you walked past on the street? You know. No, no, I don't. I don't yeah. do that because the government will do it for me if I send ten dollars to them. Or they, right. They have my tax money, so they they know what to do. They know how to spend it better yeah. than me. And this is the problem with a tax is like you don't consent to it. First of all, like your money's taken off, you don't choose where it goes. Right. But. I, That's, see, I have a big problem with that. I have a huge problem with that. Our, our, our tax money is is being fu- like you know we're funding the war on drugs. We're funding it's crazy. We're funding drone operations to bomb yeah. you know little uh, brown girls over overseas, yeah. which is terrible. Hospitals and whatnot. And so I I would like to see more of a, a you know a voluntary yes. contribution and, type of and crowdfunding. Uh, society. Yeah, yeah. I think and crowdfunding is I can. I, and, and again, this is like I'm drawing from the thing. I'm glad I wrote this because now I can speak about it in cool, language. Oh yeah, we'll we'll post the link on the episode. yeah. Um, so like yeah, the idea. I think crowdfunding is a good model for um, an alternative to taxes and actually for direct democracy in a way. So rather than your paycheck, you know, forty percent of your paycheck's going out and it's being decided for you where it goes. What if instead you kept all your paycheck, but there were like crowdfunding campaigns that existed. And when this does, and and people say, oh, this will never. It does work because it's happening right now. Right. And you would decide what things you want to put your money into. I would hazard a guess that in a in a system like this, where all the things that the government's doing currently that we need them for, quote unquote, um, if those were vol- done on a voluntary basis, you might see a difference. You might see things like universal health care get their funding, and things like the military not get so much funding. Right. Because if the people really chose where they wanted their money to go. What cause do I want to fund? You would see a drastic change. Yeah. Um, and so 
yeah, I think it's tremendously important. We have to go towards a voluntary society. And it doesn't mean that we don't have compassion. Compassion's fundamental to this whole thing. Libertarianism doesn't mean that, oh, you just let the poor people starve. Right. No, it just means we're going to help them person to person and better than we can. And we're not doing it right now. Yeah, yeah we have this hierarchical system and it's not working. It hasn't been working for <laughs> a long time. It's never worked. Yeah, and, um, and, we get the, and we get this terrible war on drugs that you know arrest people for smoking plants and whatnot. And I think what, what you said was uh, really good on Symposia when I went to your Patreon page. You guys mm. have a little video there, and you said, you know, don't. Um, you said build a, a, oh, mo- yeah, you, a new model. Yeah, you never. So this the is other Buckminster one is Fuller quote. Obsolete. Uh, oh, I love yeah, it. you never. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Good old Bucky Fuller. I love it. And so he, yeah, what he said is, um, yeah, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And in our case, we want to make the drug war obsolete. And so for us, it's about building that new model. So we're trying to bring all the voice, the researchers and the policy people and everyday people who use drugs together to talk about these issues and envision a better way. And that's kind of what we're about. And yeah, please, if you if you support this vision, please do. Uh, we, we will accept with great gratitude any contribution you can make. It's at, it's at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash symposia symposia by the way I've been saying it all episodes with a p, silent p right yeah kind of <laughs> like the way that psychedelic, psychedelic is, exactly is, is, is laid out but p s y m p o s i a so what are some things that uh, that you're currently doing with symposia right now that you're excited about and that's coming in the future yeah so um, we have more events coming up so the biggest thing is the one tomorrow so tomorrow this- night lot forty five Bushwick Brooklyn Duncan Trussell Rick Doblin Catherine McLean, um, a lot of folks. Joe Simcox is an ethnobotany uh, explorer. Um, we've got a, I'm so stoked. This is, this is our biggest event that we've, we will be throwing to date. Cool. Uh, it's, this is the after party for the Horizons conference, which also, if you're around here, definitely worth checking out Horizons itself. Uh, and then coming, going in the future, there's uh, some events on our docket. Or there's a burn happening on the National Mall called Catharsis. The first one was last year. Um, what, what is that exactly? So um, it started last year during the Drug Policy Alliance's conference in D.C. There's an International Drug Policy Reform Conference. This It was separate from the conference itself, but on the National Mall, like literally in front of the Washington Monument and the White House, uh, there was a temple built um, in the style of like the temple from Burning Man, but it was a prison cell, and people were leaving mementos in there, uh, and this temple was ultimately uh, burned down in a vigil. The idea was to help heal from the drug war. Um, and we did the night before this vigil burn symposia hosted a event called drug war stories where we had people who are victimized by the war on drugs and various levels, people who have lost children to the war on drugs, share their stories. Um, like mothers of the disappeared in Mexico, for example, or right. mother lost her daughter in uh, an MDMA related issue because we don't have harm reduction. Right. Um, people like these sharing their stories. Um, this is happening again this coming November on veterans day. There's catharsis. The theme this year is uh, healing. Um, so, um, we'll have, Symposia will also be involved in that, doing another storytelling session. Um, this one will be more focused on, uh, probably, you know, veterans who have healed, for example, using MDMA therapy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. And, um, the magazine is always, uh, is the big thing we've been like churning through and we've got a new website launching very, very soon, um, for the, for the magazine. Um, and I've been spending a lot of time over the last month traveling so i went back to burning man and i was at another festival symbiosis and at, as i just mentioned i was in prague also mm-hmm. for another conference it's like a little psychedelic business trip of sorts yeah i've been just making different connections with people that are doing the work in the space i see my role as kind of like um 
you know, <laughs> I'm not really a drug expert, but I know the drug experts. So uh, and people doing it in different ways, and and so there's so many different people that I'm very excited to have their voices showcased within this platform. And so we're going to continue building up this magazine. Um, and the more support we get on things like Patreon, the more we can do with it. As of now, Symposia has been a labor of love. Yeah, It's been a couple of us working, me and Brian have been working full-time on it, a couple other partners too. And we think because this is something people believe in, our writers, editors, artists, people have been willing to contribute for free right. um, because they believe in this cause. But we want to bring Symposia to uh, a place where it is actually, it, you know, it's not sustainable like this, obviously. And we want to be able to pay everyone fair wages. And so a big uh, finding the fundraising is also a big part of where we're trying to work on right now. Um, so hence the Patreon. And um, so we're, we're that's, that's the main things, though, yeah. And I'm also, I might be, after this trip to Prague, I've been inspired. I might spend some more time in Europe and scope out what's going on there. Places like Portugal, for example. Yeah, decriminalized that would drug. be great. Yeah, yeah, Portugal's got a good model. Yeah, and I want to do some exploring myself. Like, what are, you know, I'm talking a lot about building a new model. Right. So I'm very interested now, over this last month and a half, a bit of life thought into, I want to go out and explore the places that are ahead of the curve, meet the experts, find out what's happening, and then I want to bring it back. And uh, something I'm very keen to try to make happen is to get a um, full-spectrum drug harm reduction facility in Baltimore. Oh, okay, wow. And this would involve yeah, Baltimore sounds like a good place to start for yeah. sure. Not not only because it's your hometown, but it seems like there could be some 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 real use there. Baltimore needs the, it in that community, and right? it's like it is my home. This whole thing we're saying it has to be local, right? Yeah. Help the people in your neighborhood. I'm trying to eat my own feedback here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, safe injection, uh, you know, but not just for uh, those drugs. Maybe you have a Zendo kind of space there. Uh, I met uh, my friend Brune, who's very involved. Um, he's from uh, Mexico and is doing work globally, like all kinds of groups, super involved with harm reduction work. And he's uh, already been doing some thought into this idea of a full spectrum drug harm reduction facility. Yeah. Do, do you think harm reduction is kind of the way in here, kind of like the foot in the door in terms of a legality? Because it could be it could be tough to, you know, for me, myself, after having profound uh, experiences with ayahuasca, I, I kind of wanted to come back here and set up an ayahuasca center, yeah. you know. But of course, that's not legal. So offering some a, a place where you're saying, look, there's we're trying to reduce the the harm that goes into this we're trying right. to educate and inform people spread awareness and create a safe space for people that are having these experiences no matter what they're going to have them and we just want to provide a space for that do you think that's kind of the way the way in then yeah i mean to, it, to the, in in terms of the legality of this i think it's def- yeah i mean similar to like the medical model right there's these different ways that like are more um politically expedient to get them through and there's a part of me that feels like uh an emptiness to be using you know uh so, for example, um, a Burning Man, you, you have to use the phrase harm reduction in a sense, right? Yeah. So, if you're a place like, and Sarah maybe in your last episode, yeah, yeah, Zendo she, was saying. Sarah Gale, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, Zendo is doing, sitting, we're sitting with people who are having difficult experiences, and it's uh, billed as psychedelic harm reduction. And that's something that is easier for uh, the powers that be to digest. But, I know Sarah kind of, and I agree with this sentiment. That's kind of, it really is more than just harm reduction. Because at Zendo, we're we're not just we're, we're trying to actually do something positive, not just reduce the negative. We're trying to help people have a positive experience. Um, so ultimately, um, yeah, I want it to be about more than just harm reduction. But harm reduction is certainly a, easier to digest for um, for some people right now. So yeah, yeah it is a way. 
uh, in. I, I would like the conversations though, and maybe a symposia will feature conversations like this. I'd like the conversations to shift away from avoiding a negative and more into building a positive, not right, some harm yeah, reduction, but benefit yeah. enhancement or some, I don't know, maybe a sexier word than benefit enhancement. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, enhancement benefit. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's, but you have, I think that's, I think really there's a, a need to be filled there, especially with, you know, it's, it's kind of sad in a sense that it, it this could have been going on uh, from the 60s, but unfortunately we had this draconian, you know, nefarious establishment that dropped a hammer on people, started arresting mm. people, and and we, we've experienced this, like, you know, decades of war, and now we have all these soldiers coming back with PTSD, and they're killing themselves, and it's like just, just this crazy disaster, but it just seems like it's like it's it's the answer is right there. It's like look, we have this amazing platform with this these healing psychedelics and, and these medicines. Just just accept that as mm. as the answer. Like let us set up shop. Let us yeah. do good. It's like get out let of the us, way. Yeah, let us you let know? us perform a much needed service to this and that, environment. And that, yeah, it's the whole thing with like you know all this government intervention and regulation. It's like um, I mean I get it. Yes, we need to find safeguards. These can be. I'll be the first one to tell you psychedelics. Are, you should be afraid of them. Yeah, yeah. You should be afraid of psychedelics. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the the thing is, adding all these weird barriers is not helping the situation. It's hurting it. And if we, it's like the, um, I've had this metaphor used for, psych, this is for psychedelic therapy, Matt Johnson and Hopkins, this metaphor where if you've got a cut, um, most of the work of like a doctor is you get the dirt and clean the wound and then the body heals itself. Yeah. The point is just getting out of the way of the healing. And I right. think that's what we need to do with uh, that's what psychedelic therapy works. You know, when you're sitting there, a lot of the work that the, the person who's sitting with you is doing, they're not guiding you in Zendo too. It's like they're just helping you. They're creating the space to help you heal yourself. And like and this applies socially as well. If we just get out of the way organically, we'll figure out the ways to deal with these things in the best. We just need to get out of the way of the healing. Well, that's, that seems like a, a good way to, to end the podcast. <laughs> it's been about an hour. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I feel like Likewise, I, could, man, I could thank keep you. talking to you for hours and hours, but I'm sure we'll have time we to got talk this over weekend. The, yeah, the conference. Um, so just uh, any uh, last words? No, that, that didn't sound good. What are, your, <laughs> what are your last words? We'll just tell people where they can find you, where they can follow you, Symposia and Patreon and all that stuff. Yeah, so uh, Symposia.com, that's P-S-Y-M-P-O-S-I-A. That's where you'll find our online platform and information about our event coming up. Um, you can support us at Patreon.com slash Symposia. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash P-S-Y-M-P-O-S-I-A. Uh, and that's where you can support us. So you can make a monthly donation as little as $2 a month, and that would go a long ways to helping us uh, really uh, make this sustainable. And, of course, the event tomorrow night, the after party for Horizons. If you're at, go to come to Horizons, too, because the conference itself is going to be rad. And then we're having this after party at Lot 45 in Brooklyn uh, with Duncan Trussell, Rick Doblin Moore, all these great uh, folks. All that information is also at symposia.com. Um, I guess you can follow me personally if you want as well on Twitter. I'm at Mike Margulies, M-I-K-E-M-A-R-G-O-L-I-E-S. And, and Symposia is on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, Symposia is yeah. on, also on Facebook, Twitter, yeah. Insta, all those things. Cool, cool, um, man. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot for coming by. Thank great you for having me, man. This yeah. was great. A lot, it was a really fun conversation. Awesome. Thanks, dude. Peace out, people. Namaste. Namaste.